0: at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. So good to be with you on this Lord's Day as we continue in our study of the book of Mark. Uh, It's super easy to follow on each week if you uh, read ahead because it's just one chapter uh, per week. So I hope you've been reading ahead in the book of Mark It takes about 90 minutes to read the whole book, and it's just great to get a great um, overview of the whole book by doing that. So I hope you'll take an opportunity to do that sometime during our series, read through the whole book of Mark. Um, Today is going to be what I'm going to call a heart check. And if you go to the doctor to get a heart check, that's cool, but way more important is to get a spiritual heart check, which affects your eternal address if you know what I'm saying. So this morning, we're going to do a bit of a heart check, and I want to start this morning with a picture that is disturbing to me. I hope it's disturbing to you too, especially because it's right outside of our doorstep. Another picture will show a little more uh, broad detail here. This is Colfax Avenue right here in Strasburg. I bike this route every day on the way to work, and since I've moved here, it's just it's like, why? Why, why this, right? Uh, is, is it not that there aren't any laws in Colorado that prohibit Drinking and driving? Like every one of these is a liquor can of some kind, right? Are there no laws in Colorado to deal with that? Uh, What about uh, littering? Like just plain destroying the, the creation? Are there no laws against that? Well, there are. So why do people keep doing this? Well, the answer is it's a heart issue, right? We have tens of thousands of laws in this country. We have many in the state of Colorado too. But the reason we have have to have so many laws is that people can't keep two very simple laws that that God gave us. And Jesus repeated these when he came and lived on this earth. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second law you probably know is to love your neighbor as yourself. You guys are on it. So let's just run this little, little trick through and see if that works for us. Drinking and driving, is that loving God? with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Hardly. Is it loving our neighbor as ourselves? No. What about littering? Is littering loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Of course not. We're destroying his beautiful creation. He told us to take care of it and manage it. Um, What about loving our neighbor? Is littering loving our neighbor? No. Somebody's going to have to clean that up someday, and it'll be taxpayers' dollars, right? Like It's not loving your neighbor at all to do that. And so we've got a heart problem, and we're going to talk about that today. Mark 7 is going to give us uh, what Pastor Mike has introduced to us. It's a Markin sandwich, and so we're going to start with some bread. We're going to have some meat in the middle, and then there's going to be bread as well. But I'm going to start with reading from the passage Mark chapter 7. If you have your Bible, or it's going to be here on the screen, I'm just going to read the passage. One day, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law. Boo. Every time you see that in the Gospels, it's always bad news. Pharisees are always up to trouble. Jesus never speaks positively of them. So just just so you know that. They arrive from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They notice that some of the disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of many traditions they have clung to, such as the ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, Why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without performing the hand-washing ceremony. Jesus replied, You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law to substitute your own tradition." And he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God. Honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. This is only one example among many others. So you see what was happening at this time in history is that people would give large sums of money to keep the temple going. And it usually came with a a parade or a show or like, hey, everybody, look how conspicuously spiritual I am because I'm giving all this money to the temple because I love God so much. And sometimes they would blow a trumpet in front of them as they gave the gift and so on. And instead, they were not taking care of their needy parents. And God has established that we should honor our mother and father. And so they would say, well, you know, I'm just going to give that to God instead. And you're, you're on your own, parents. Sorry about that. And, and Jesus goes right after it. It's a heart issue. And I think there's a little bit of a, a, I don't know, admonishment or teaching for us here today. Because I know that a lot of us in the church right now are dealing with taking care of aging parents. And it's difficult, and it can be expensive, and it can be time-consuming and all of it, and yet it is an act of worship toward God, if you think of it that way. It is honoring God to take care of our earthly parents. And so I just want to encourage you, those of you who are walking through those kind of roads right now, that you do the right thing, that you honor God by honoring your parents. And some people will say, yeah, but my parents weren't honorable to me. Why should I take care of them? You do it because God has commanded it. You do it because it's good for society. It's the way that God has established it, and it's an act of worship to him. So I just want to encourage you with that. We are to take care of our parents. And uh, that's just one piece of of bread, okay, in this passage. It's a hard issue. Honor your aging parents. The next section, we start to get into kind of the meat. I might call this maybe a piece of cheese in the sandwich. Uh, Verse 14, Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. All of you listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes out of your heart. then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd, and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. Don't you understand either, he asked. Can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. You see, for the Jews, even to this day, one of the great distinguishing factors is these very strict dietary laws. And I would jump ahead in this passage uh, to the story about this Gentile woman who had a demon-possessed daughter. And what we find there is that Jesus is going to lead this woman through a little bit of a test to see where her heart was. And he discovered, uh, he didn't discover anything, actually, because Jesus never asks questions to gain information. He asks questions to expose hearts. But what he showed was that her heart was true and right and that he would rather have a Gentile woman whose faith was right in God than 10,000 Jews who only thought they were right with God because they kept the law. And so that's, that's a bit of a bread, the bread on top, the bread um, on the bottom. And now I want to get to the real meat of this passage, which is what ties it all together. You've probably already picked it up. Uh, It's about the heart. So verse 20, then he added, It is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. That's the meat of the passage right there. That's where this whole passage is centered. To be defiled means to have a broken relationship with God. There's a barrier of sin that makes us spiritually unclean, stained, and even worse, it turns us into enemies of God. We're all defiled. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. I want to compare what we see in Mark chapter 7 with what Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5 because it's almost the same list. Paul in Galatians chapter 5 gives us what's called the fruit of the Spirit, but before he gives that, he prefaces it with what I like to call the rotten vegetables of the flesh. And this is that green chart, and you'll see this is a description of humanity apart from God. And what Paul says in his chart after he's done giving this list is he says, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. And why is that? Because when you refuse to welcome Jesus as king of your heart, you're refusing to live a crucified life, which, by the way, is what a Christian is by definition, one who has been crucified to sin and raised back to life in Christ. And that means that you're refusing to reckon yourself dead to sin. It means you refuse to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what all of this means is that your heart is defiled. You cannot live a life that pleases God if you are not filled with God's Holy Spirit. I'm going to back up and say that again. Blah, 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 blah. You cannot please God if you are not filled with the Holy Spirit. It is impossible. It is only God that makes us able to please God in, him, in us. And so our hearts are very important to God. In fact, there are almost 800 references to the heart in the Bible. Uh, but you can count on one hand the number of times that heart means the actual physical organ in our chest. It almost always means... Our souls. And a heart problem, you see, is why our families stumble and why our nation is crumbling because the attacks that are coming against the nation of America are not external. No one's shooting us right now. They're coming from within. That's where the problem is, right? Religion and politics only deal with externals. I want you to notice this. So you have man-made rules for religion and you have man-made laws for politics. And as Pastor Don indicated this morning, America started well. It was founded well. You know what? So was the church. The church was founded well. For the first 250 years, it was off to a great start. But religion and politics may start with noble intentions, but in every nation on earth and every religion on earth, they always degrade to become about power, watch this, greed, control, and unquestioning compliance. That's what religion does. That's what politics do but they cannot fix the heart. They cannot guide the heart, and yet people flock to put their trust in both of those things to this day. They turn to religion, they turn to politics, and they put their hopes in them instead of the Lord Jesus, who loves them. You see, religion doesn't love you, and government doesn't love you, but Jesus does. So religion and politics are doomed to corruption because they're under the control of sinful people who ultimately stop working for the benefit of the people they serve and begin to change policies to serve themselves and keep themselves in power. You can see that in the history of the church over the last 2,000 years, and you can see it in the history of what's going on in our country right now. They change policies to keep themselves in power. That is why we need the Word of God as the only standard for morality and justice. And that's why we need King Jesus to reign because he's the only one who is able to deal with our sin-stained, defiled, and dark hearts. So theologically and scripturally speaking, the heart is the part of us or the place in our spiritual being that either welcomes the truth of God and aligns with it or pushes it away and rebels against it. So that's what happens to the heart. A heart, you could say, is kind of like a truth receptor. It filters truth for us. It says, yes, I welcome that. Yes, I will change my life to align with that or no way, I'm not doing that, and pushes it away. Our hearts either welcome and respond appropriately to truth or proudly push it away. And it always reminds me when I come to this kind of topic about you know, the famous Frank Sinatra and his song, I Did It My Way. What did that song expose? It exposed where his heart was. And that's the meat of the passage. And so the Bible has a lot to say about the heart, and I want to invite some people to come right now and do some readings for us from the book of Psalms about the heart. This is so important that we get this right. So if you guys can come forward, we're going to read through a, a selection of scriptures about the heart. I even highlighted them in yellow so you could see when the heart pops up, okay? Pastor Don, you're going to lead us off. Psalm 19:8 says, the commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. So if the commands don't bring joy to your heart, let me ask you a question. Is the problem with the command or is the problem with your heart? If your heart bristles at God's commands or at God's word when it tells you to stop doing something, for example, is the problem with God's word or is the problem with your heart, right? That's, that's where this passage takes us. The next passage. Psalm 1914. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Yeah, so the words that come out of our mouths always demonstrate what's already in our heart. So doesn't it make sense that we should ask God to change our hearts? Because then that will lead to a change in the words that come out of our mouth. Here's what religion does. Religion says, stop cussing. Change the way you talk but can do nothing for your heart. Jesus says, give me your heart, and out of that, things will begin to change, and the words that you speak will also change. Uh, Dara's going to come and read the next passage for us. Psalm 28, 7. The Lord is my strength and shield. I trust him with all my heart. He helps me, and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. So the depth of our praise and worship is in view here, and it will be proportionate to the level of trust that we have in God because if we don't trust God with the details of our lives, our worship is just going to fall flat because we don't have that kind of relationship with him, and our hearts will be filled with joy as a result. Next passage. Psalm thirty-two, eleven. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who obey him. Shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure. Again, the exuberance of our worship is going to be based on the gladness that comes in our hearts when our lives are obedient to God. To have a pure heart is to deal with the sin in our lives, replacing sin with a love for the things that God loves. And that is when we can truly rejoice and shout for praise. Okay, Taylor, we're going to have the next verse. Psalm 48, I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written in my heart. How do we get the instructions of God written on our hearts? Well, by taking daily time, saturating ourselves in God's word, meditating on it day and night. That's what the Bible says. To be a lover of God is to be a lover of his words. And that's how his instructions become written on our heart. Next passage. Psalm 51.10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Yeah, you know, the principle in this verse is that we cannot clean up our own hearts. God does that for us. He creates a right spirit in us. He creates in us a clean heart. And we have to allow his Holy Spirit through prayer, through confession of sins, and through the word of God to change us. We don't actually change ourselves. God does it. All right, our next passage, Anna's going to read for us. Psalm 51, 16 and 17. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. So, what does God really want from you and me this morning as we've come into his house for worship? He wants our heart a heart that is broken over sin, a heart that is desperate for him, a heart that is truly grieved because we have broken the commands of God, this God who loves us so much a heart that is humble and teachable and earnestly wants to obey him more, that's what God wants in our worship, and that's what God wants from our lives every day. He wants our hearts. Next passage. Psalm 62, 8. Oh, my people, trust him at all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. Do you have that kind of relationship with God that you can pour out your heart to him at all times? to trust him to the point that you know that you can always come to him in complete honesty. I feel that some of us here in this room this morning might have a distorted view of God who is constantly angry and constantly disappointed with you. You need to hear this morning that if you've turned to Christ for salvation and received his free gift of eternal life, you are a dearly loved child of God and he knows that we're going to mess up. You see, Jesus already knows what's in our wicked hearts, and he died on the cross to save us anyway. You didn't earn God's favor with your good behavior. That's not where your salvation came from. Therefore, you will not lose your salvation when you mess up. So we I can say to us this morning, trust in him. Turn our hearts to him. He'll never turn away a humble and repentant heart. He is our refuge. And we understand this with our kids. When our kids mess up, they shouldn't hide from us in shame. They should be sad that they let us down and run to us to seek comfort. And I'll share with you a quick story about my life when I was 16 years old. um, My father gave me one of his work trucks to drive to school every day, and that was the coolest thing ever. My dad had a fleet of trucks, and um, one of them was just kind of getting to the end of its service life. And so I got to bomb around back and forth to school and anything else I wanted to do. Uh, it was a diesel F three fifty or F two fifty, you know, it was a beautiful four x four, and I got to hang out with that, and that was just the coolest thing in my life. But one day, I was on my way to school. It was a snowy day in uh, February, and I hit a turn. I was going too fast, and I rolled the truck. Now, a friend who was with me in the truck, thankfully, uh, we were on our roof, and he was able to roll the window down and get out and go get help. But I was trapped in the truck. I was actually somehow pinned under the steering wheel, even though I had my seatbelt on. It was very strange. Um, the water was coming into the cab because all the windows are broken and I was in a ditch and so it was starting to fill up the cab with water and I thought, well, that's going to be fine. I survived the truck accident. I'm going to drown now, right? And I also had transmission fluid coming down on my cheek because uh, of the four-wheel drive. It was right in front of my face, basically. And I thought, I'm going to die. And every five minutes, the, the truck would kind of creep down and crunch under its own weight. And I waited there an hour. All the emergency services came, the firefighters came. They used two sets of Jaws of Life to get me out. And I went to the hospital. They checked me over. I didn't have a scratch on me, no broken bones. I was absolutely fine. Figured God has something for me in my life after that time. But the whole point is I had to call my father. And I thought this is going to be the worst conversation I've ever had in my life. I thought he was going to be so angry at me because I wrecked his truck. And especially since I was going too fast, it was my own fault, all this kind of stuff. But you know what he told me? He said, son, I'm glad you're okay. Everybody gets one mistake. And not only that, later on that night, we had supper together, and after supper, he put the keys in my hand and says, I need you to go run an errand for me. Get back behind the wheel. He goes, Come on, let's go. we got to drive again. Let's get back behind the wheel. you got to run an errand for me. And so I experienced grace at that time, and I thought the, I thought the hammer was going to fall on me, right? That's just a little illustration. Some of us are afraid to come to God when we sin because we're afraid that he's just been waiting for us to mess up, just waiting to throw that lightning bolt at us when we screw up. That's not the relationship we have with God. He's our loving Father. He wants us to come to Him. He wants us to pour out our hearts to Him. That's the kind of relationship we could have. Why? Because He wants our hearts. More than anything else, He wants our hearts, devotion, and attention. Okay, we're going to go to another passage about the heart. Pastor Mike. Psalm 66, verses 18 and 19. If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened but God did listen. He paid attention to my prayer. So we have this foundational principle of approaching God in prayer, and that is to come with humility and confession. And what we do is we agree with God about our sin. We keep short accounts with him. We ask him to cleanse our hearts, and he will. And then once again, we have this clear line of communication with God. And so I would say to you, some of you, do you feel distant from God? Do you feel like your prayers are going unanswered? Sometimes that is because we are doing something that we know is sin, and what it does is it numbs our conscience, and it numbs our ability to hear from God. But we confess our sins. He will hear us. Next passage. Psalm 86, verse 11. Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Grant me purity of heart so that I may honor you. Yeah. Ultimately, we don't clean up our own hearts. We don't wake up one day Monday morning and say, now I'm going to follow God. I determined in my life to obey him. Actually, it's the Holy Spirit who produces this desire in us, and we simply obey his voice. And that's why God gets all the glory from our lives, because only God creates desire for God. We are not even able on our own to manufacture that in our hearts. He is the one who even makes us want to have a pure heart. All right, next passage. Angie's going to come share that with us. Psalm 119, Your laws are my treasure, they are my heart's delight. Think about that for just a moment. Are the laws of God your treasure, your heart's delight? Is that true of you? That you delight in obeying Jesus Christ as a supreme authority in your life Because one of the greatest secrets that some of us need to discover in this room is that there is true joy only available for the Christian when you're living a life of complete surrender in serving Jesus. Because obeying him and pleasing him by turning away from sin is part of the abundant life that Jesus promised us. Okay, next passage. Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. This is the honest prayer of someone who sincerely loves the Lord and wants to please him. Oh God, search my heart. Put a finger on anything in me that offends and displeases you. God, I want to live for you. Point me in the way I should go so that I don't sin against you. This is a prayer coming from a heart that wants what God wants. And when we pray a prayer like this, we know we're praying God's way. Well, I have a couple other passages I want to read for you. One is from Matthew. Jesus talks about the heart, and he says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal, and I would add, or where hailstorms come and break stuff. Uh, store your treasures in heaven where moths, and that's kind of cool because we have a lot of moths right now, rust can de- and rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. And so here's something about our hearts. Our financial choices are matters of the heart. Did you know that? Tithing is always a test of our loyalty to God rather than the things of earth. Every time you receive money of any kind, it is a test from the Lord as to which kingdom your heart is truly a part of. Money choices expose the heart. How do we store up treasures in heaven? By giving faithfully to the Lord's work here on earth. And people often get worked up when churches talk about money, but it's the Lord who talks about money. And it's always a test of the heart. Remember, the heart is the part of us that either welcomes God's instructions or bristles at his commands. So let me ask you this morning, is Jesus Lord of your bank account? Do you consult him in every financial decision? See, for most of us, we just do whatever we want. We spend our money the way we want. We don't consider the Lord in what we're doing. But it's a matter of the heart. Let me take you to the book of Malachi for a moment, where it says, You cry out, Why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. But you've been unfaithful to her, though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. You see, divorce is always about the heart only one reason for divorce it's a hard heart on one or both parties why does God hate divorce because it destroys society it harms children it causes people to live the rest of their lives at some level with a perpetual hatred toward the other person and let me say this about the state of the country that we are in right now we're suffering as a nation because of what I would call lowest common denominator morality it's a race to the bottom Sins that 30 to 40 years ago were virtually unheard of are now not only accepted but encouraged by those who occupy the offices of power in our nation. And I would say to you that every sexual sin, including homosexuality and transgenderism, has come about because of the disintegration of God's plan for marriage, sexuality, and the family. It's always a heart issue. Do we submit to God's commands? Do we go our own way? And so it all brings us back to Mark chapter 7 where Jesus says it's what comes from inside that defiles you. Jeremiah knew this 700 years before Christ came. He wrote in what God told him to write in Jeremiah chapter 17. The human heart, and when you read the human heart, that's, that's you and that's me. It's not those bad people over there somewhere or you know, the people who live in buyers. It's not those people. It's us. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I see some of you are still awake. <laughs> the human heart, every one of us, is the most deceitful of all things, and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give to all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. God is the one who is the judger of hearts. And if that's the case, which it is, we're all in big trouble. See, we love to point out what's wrong in others, those bad people, right? But the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about what's wrong in me. And you cannot be saved until you agree with the scriptures that says, it's my heart that's the problem. It's my heart that's offended God. Stop looking at everybody else around you and what they're doing. Bad, bad people, bad, bad people. It's me that's the problem. That's the essence of the gospel. That's where salvation steps in. And I want to take you to Romans chapter 10 because it's time for some good news now. And here's what it says. The message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. It is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. See, this morning we've had a ton of bad news Because when we're talking about human hearts, there's only one category of news to talk about until the Holy Spirit comes into someone's heart and changes them and transfers them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Now we have good things to talk about. Only Jesus can do that. Only his Holy Spirit can do that. You remember a few uh, weeks ago, we talked about the strong man. Who may bind the strong man? Only someone who is stronger than the strong man. And who is able to bind and heal and take control of a sinful heart like mine and bring it into submission to God's will. Who is strong enough? You see, if you could fix yourself, you would have already done it by now. If you could overcome sin in your life, you would have already done it by now, but you can't because the power and the forces are stronger. You need someone stronger than your desire to sin to take control of your heart, and there's only one fit in the universe to do that, and that is the Lord Jesus. He is strong enough to bring us into God's will and to obey. So I'm going to ask the band to come back right now. We're going to go into a time of worship. And as they come, I want to remind us of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our hearts today. In Galatians chapter 5, we have the rotten vegetables of the flesh. I already mentioned that and showed you in that green column that we had. All the things that basically are what Jesus talked about in Mark chapter 7. But then he goes on, Paul says, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. You see, the priority this morning, as we've set out from the very beginning of today's service, is about the heart. What does Jesus want more than anything else? He wants your heart. If he has your heart, he will have everything else that has to do with you. And so we sit under God's word today, and I believe the Holy Spirit is working in this place right now He wants to bring life change. He wants to bring real freedom to someone today. Some of you are living under bondage and chains of religion today. You still haven't put two and two together that this is about your personal walk with God, and he wants to know you, and he wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit. Our responsibility is to respond to him, to allow him to be Lord of our lives, and that's what we do in worship. We invite him once again to take the rightful place On the throne of our hearts that's what he wants more than anything else it's always always about the heart so i want to invite you as we go into this time of worship to open up your heart to let the holy spirit do the refining work that he needs to do inside of you today and for some of you maybe that just means sitting quietly and reflecting Some of you maybe need to stand and declare the praise of God. Some of you might need to kneel in this moment, but I just want to ask you that you would be real with God today. He already knows what's in your heart. You can't hide anything from him, but he still wants us to confess it. He wants us to bring it to the light so that his truth can shine on it and bring us real and lasting change. So let's worship together.